Many West Virginia counties are short on bus drivers, but as soon as they get, as soon as they get trained to serve as backups, they get pulled straight into the full time. Many times we'll train two or three drivers, and once they've completed their coursework and they're certified as a bus driver, they don't even go into the substitute pool、um, because there's vacancies already sitting there waiting for them. Then that that cycle just perpetuates itself. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. The leader of the state's largest government agency has decided to retire, and Governor Jim Justice was quick to react. Randy Yowie has the story. Department of Health and Human Resources Secretary Bill Crouch will retire at year's end. Justice appointed the WVU School of Public Health Dean Dr. Jeff Coben as interim DHHR secretary. The agency has been under scrutiny, and the governor recently delivered a study with recommendations on a reorganization. Crouch said the suggested steps are nearly complete. Justice praised Crouch for facing numerous health challenges with DHHR. Absolutely, Bill Crouch has led us through all this and absolutely done an amazing job. Justice said coronavirus czar Dr. Clay Marsh and retired General Jim Hoyer will advise him in the process of selecting a permanent DHHR secretary for West Virginia Public Broadcasting. I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. With Secretary Crouch's retirement, Senate President Craig Blair said more changes are coming this legislative session. Emily Rice has more. Blair wished Crouch well in his retirement, but acknowledged there were long overdue changes that were revealed in the McChrystal reorganization report. Blair said he would work alongside Speaker of the West Virginia House of Delegates Roger Hanshaw and the rest of the West Virginia Legislature to make statutory changes to the agency. It does include、uh, breaking up the, the, the DHHR as we know it today. Probably、uh, the bill that was vetoed by the governor last year, let's say on steroids. Blair said the legislature plans to put together legislation that is sustainable, long-term, and improves the delivery of services in the future. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. A natural gas power plant with carbon capture and storage will be built in Doddridge County. Curtis Tate has more. Competitive Power Ventures said Monday that it had selected Doddridge County as the site for its planned 1,800 megawatt combined cycle natural gas plant. The plant represents a three billion dollar investment and will be among the first in the nation to use carbon capture and storage to reduce the plant's carbon emissions. At the federal level, a tax credit in the Inflation Reduction Act made the plant more economical. At the state level, West Virginia lawmakers this year enacted rules for carbon capture. At the local level, county officials approved a payment in lieu of taxes agreement. The company says the plant will be called the CPV Shea Energy Center. Shea is a type of geared steam locomotive that powered timber-hauling railroads in West Virginia. Several are preserved and operating at the Cass Scenic Railroad State Park. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. State and federal leaders held an informational session Monday to discuss the accuracy of broadband coverage data in the Mountain State. Emily Rice has more. Community members and state officials met with the West Virginia Broadband Office and Senators Shelley Moore Capito and Joe Manchin to discuss new broadband coverage maps from the FCC. Participants were shown how to check their area's coverage and, if it is incorrect, how to challenge the maps. 
Manchin emphasized how important it was to get the maps right. West Virginia is primed to receive and compete for hundreds of millions of dollars to bring reliable, affordable broadband access to all West Virginians, regardless of where they live, but only if those locations are accurately mapped. These maps are pre-production updates and open to changes, available for challenges in session and any resulting changes to the maps. Manchin and Capita said the new maps are a result of years of urging the FCC to update their incorrect broadband coverage maps. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. The remains of a soldier killed during World War II will be buried Wednesday in South Charleston. U.S. Army Corporal Joseph H. Ganneau was a native of Charleston. He was 21. Ganneau was in the 28th Infantry Division in Europe. His unit captured a town and held it for four days against constant German artillery and small arms fire. They were forced to withdraw four days later. It took several days for his company to realize Gano was one of the missing. He was declared killed in action after the war. After research, a historian with the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency determined that one set of unidentified remains possibly belonged to Gano. They were disinterred in 2021 and positively identified in September of this year. His name is recorded on the walls of the missing at the Netherlands American Cemetery, an American Battle Monuments Commission site in the Netherlands. A rosette will be placed next to his name to indicate he has been accounted for. The U.S. Department of Labor is supporting disaster relief employment with more than $600,000 in funding to Workforce West Virginia. The funds will aid recovery efforts from the winter storms and flooding from February and March of 2021. The Labor Department has awarded the state $1 million in August 2021 under its Disaster Recovery Dislocated Worker Grant Program. Senators Joe Manchin and Shelley Moore Capito, both members of the Senate Appropriations Committee, announced the additional grant. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 750. Becoming mostly sunny today, highs in the 40s and low 50s, partly cloudy tonight with lows in the 20s and 30s. Mostly cloudy skies tomorrow with a chance of rain, freezing rain and snow possible in the Potomac Highlands, highs in the 30s, 40s, and low 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. West Virginia has not been immune to the countrywide shortage of certified bus drivers to provide transportation for students. As Chris Schultz reports, the problem and its solution lies with each county and its school system. 
David Barber is the Director of Transportation for the State Department of Education. He says the state normally averages around 4,000 bus drivers, but currently only has just more than 3,700 working. There's a lot of factors, and there is no true fix for this. We've had a lot of retirements over the last few years. Unfortunately, we lost some, some bus operators and different employees to COVID. As with other industries, COVID-19 lockdowns also caused many veteran workers to reassess their situation and take retirement earlier than planned. Barber says there's not much the state organization can do, but points towards a statewide effort to bring retired drivers, as well as drivers licensed in other states, to West Virginia. We've had some retired bus operators that want to come back to work, and so we've modified our training guidelines to allow that without them having to go through an entire training program. And we didn't modify anything that to compromise the safety of the training or anything. However, at the November meeting of the Board of Education, Barber reported that the statewide waiver of Policy 4336 has so far only led to 16 bus drivers coming out of retirement or transferring their out-of-state certification. Ultimately, Barber says it's up to each county to recruit, train, and hire their own drivers. Brett Fraley is the Executive Director of Transportation for Kanawha County Schools, the state's largest school system with more than 22,000 students. He says part of the issue in his area is the county faces competition from other industries when replacing retiring drivers. That is what they call the missing piece is those folks that are older getting ready to retire and how to replace those folks. Here in the county, if you're a bus driver and you have an opportunity to become a truck driver, you move from a 200-day employee to a 261-day employee, you start to gain vacation, you get an increase in pay and more flexibility. We lose a lot of our drivers within the county, and then we lose drivers to competitors because there's more, more money available. He says it's not just an issue in transportation, but in education and support staff compensation more broadly. With unemployment at a historic low, things are getting competitive. Going forward, we have to be competitive to keep those employees, not just bus drivers, our electricians, our plumbers, our teachers, our cooks, our custodians. It takes everybody to get these kids to school and keep them in school. Fraley says his system has about 30 vacancies right now, but more than 20 people are already in training. He also says driver shortages are nothing new, and the county's transportation department works to reduce interruptions as much as possible. Most of our drivers are working hard together and working as a team, sharing responsibility. And not only that, they're sharing responsibility between terminals and helping each other out and get the kids where they need to be on a timely basis, covering all their field trips. Eddie Campbell is Monongalia County School Superintendent. With about 11,500 students, the Monongalia School District is roughly half of Kanawha's size. But Campbell says transportation logistics are difficult regardless. I've been a superintendent now for 12 years, so in my previous county, when I was in Tucker County, a much smaller system, we only had 12 drivers, but you still dealt with the issue uh, of personnel and the, the substitute piece of it. Bus driving is difficult. It's a hard job. According to Campbell, the county initially had to cancel bus services for some extracurriculars. More recently, however, he says the county has had to cancel regular routes about a dozen times this school year. Each time, that burden falls to parents to get their students to activities or to school itself. Campbell says Monongalia's biggest issue right now is its substitute pool, but that issue itself is a symptom of the bus driver shortage. Because there's such turnover in the regular uh, drivers, the ones that hold those full-time positions, many times we'll train two or three drivers 
uh, and once they've completed their coursework, um, should they complete the course and they're certified as a bus driver, they walk directly immediately into a full-time job. They don't even go into the substitute pool um, because there's vacancies already sitting there waiting for them uh, to go ahead and take a, a full-time job. And so then that, that cycle just perpetuates itself. Campbell acknowledges that the training itself, while necessary for providing the safest service possible for students, can be its own barrier for potential drivers. Trainees must complete more than 50 hours of coursework and practical training without pay. You have to make the commitment to the, the time and the, the coursework, the practical driving that you have to do in order to, to be certified. Um, and it means you're, you're, you're giving up time on the other end. So if, if you do have a job, you've got to make arrangements to take the courses or you've got to step away from another type of job in order to be able to take that coursework. With that said, the training is essential. It's an issue the state is keeping its eye on. Some counties have already implemented pay for bus driving trainees, but it's simply not feasible for all counties. I think there's other factors uh, that steer people away from the profession, but for those people that do have a true interest in pursuing becoming a a bus operator, I do think that uh, paying them while they're getting the training would really alleviate some of the burden uh, that these individuals would have in order to try to make ends meet for them. For those interested, Frawley has a clear picture of the kind of person best suited for bus driving. Our drivers suggest that you be an early riser. You enjoy being around children, good communicator. You would have to study and pass written exams, perform and pass two driving exams, required a good driving record, no DUIs, high school diploma, uh, required to pass a drug and alcohol test, background check. You have to be able to maintain your school bus by riding up anything that's mechanically wrong with it. Frawley and the other sources for this story all acknowledge that bus driving is difficult work. Difficult, but rewarding. It's a hard job, but the people that do it find it to be a rewarding job. We were talking here recently about the bus drivers that took the Hoover group to the state playoffs and the fact that they were part of something that would allow those students memories for the rest of their life. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Thank you.